you're having your breakfast. Singing's my thing now. Uh, welcome to the Spooky Park Bench. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. My name is Mike Sim. I'm a commercial photographer in the United Kingdom. In the Americas is my best friend in the entire world looking fly. It's Christopher Stern. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Honestly, I'm good. It's the new mm. year. It was snowing. You got your granola? Cold. I got my granola. I have my cup of tea. Or as you say in the UK, a cuppa. Mm, I don't really drink tea. Well, that's interesting. I had a cup of coffee already, and I don't want—I don't want to be like vibrating. So you know, I'm doing we, tea. I know that for anyone listening to this, like this sounds like we've just immediately started talking, but we tend to talk a little bit beforehand, and we're talking about ten minutes before, and not once has Christopher mentioned my hair, which I've I'm not—I'm avoiding it on purpose. <sighs> it's a shame. There's a there's a there's a Scottish um, cartoon comic called Ur Willy. And uh, I'm trying to channel Uwe Willy. You should look at him. At some You've point lost me. I will. I'll check it out. You know yeah, how cool. I feel about your hair. I think it looks cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I personally wouldn't do it because I don't think I could pull it off. But you seem I look to be like, able to. So today, I mean, I've got a mustache. I've got bleached hair. I've got an earring. It's like draw me a guy that works and draw me a 36 year old man that works in coffee. Hello. Or a really big George Michael fan. Well, yeah, George Michael mixed a bit with Annie Lennox. That's what the hair's about. <laughs> Annie Lennox, honestly, national treasure. Well, international treasure. because She's, she's not, Scottish, too. She is Scottish. And she's so is Sinead O'Connor. No, she's not. She's Irish. Fuck! I always get those two mixed up, the Irish and the Scottish. Yeah, They're- so do I. Americans and Canadians. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> honestly, uh, wait, who's the Canadians... In the Irish and Scottish, is are the Scottish the Canadians in that situation? Uh, that's a good question. Who's nicer and more passive? There's lots of Scots in Canada, and there's lots of Irish in America. So <laughs> let's answer well, was, that way. I was thinking more about temperament, like because Canadians are are classically kind and and gentle, while Americans so are brash Irish. and shitty. I don't know. You know better. I don't know either. I think that we're both, I think the Irish are potentially more welcoming in a characteristically welcoming way. They're very sort of like high and huggy and chatty, whereas the Scots are maybe not quite that way. But we are fundamentally as welcoming. We just don't show it physically and potentially outwardly at all. <laughs> well, also you are we're skirts. We very happily have you in our house, mm-hmm. but we're just not going to like offer you like to come in. Like if you, just if you in, end up in the house, you'll be like, oh, yeah. okay. But if yeah. you're like not going to be like, in, come in, come in. Like, oh. right, yeah, right, we're right. not going to invite you in. Yeah, this I is think weird, that's probably this is a weird tangent. Basically, what happens is you all just get drunk in the pub and you just end up wherever. <laughs> same, same with America. To be honest with you, not true. What do you mean? My fr- my friend was um uh, on a uh, um a golf uh, what was he? He was like on a caddying course or scholarship or he was caddying somewhere i don't know in, in sure. florida mm-hmm. and he sounds, got drunk sounds and, awful. He, and he yeah no it sounds horrific he was drunk and he, he went into the wrong apartment um because <laughs> they all looked exactly the same and he walked yeah. into the wrong apartment and he got done for like um breaking and entering like while intoxicated or whatever and he was gonna go to jail and he ended up having to like he just left the country did um, they did did the people whose apartment he walked into uh, press charges is that why they were going to yeah 
Now, if that had been Scotland, Penny. what would have happened is somebody would have gone, mate, you're in the wrong house. And that would have been it. <laughs> okay. What or about Ireland? Gone, in Ireland, they would, would have gone, been like, here's a potato and gave him a bed or something. Right, that was canceled. a terrible that, accent. I'm sorry. That's you cancelled. Yeah, that was like, <laughs> I don't know what that was. But if that, no, I think probably what would happen is you'd either go, mate, get out, or you'd go, listen, you look burst, sleep here tonight, and then fuck off in the morning. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't call the police. I like too how in the UK or specifically like like Scotland, telling someone to fuck off is not necessarily like aggressive. It's just like, oh yeah, you're gonna fuck off in the morning. Like it's just saying like, oh, you're gonna leave. It's very, yeah. it's very yeah. like it's like I can't remember who said it, but it's true. There's a, a legitimately like kind sentence would be like if someone asked me about you and said like, what's Christopher like? I'd be like, oh, that cunt. Oh, he's a sound cunt. Yeah, right. Like that's me literally going, oh, him. He's all right. Yeah, and then me telling not- you, like, um, uh, I don't know, telling you to fuck off. <laughs> it's rude. I'm just telling you, like, hey, you got to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, yeah. actually, that's quite interesting because what we were going to do for this podcast, mm-hmm. we thought we, um, since it's a new year and we're getting, like, you know, new followers and stuff, and we've sort of, you know, we've always very quickly introduced ourselves and who we are and what we do, but we've never really actually talked about us as people from and we thought we'd actually go like full bio almost mm-hmm. go back to um where we grew up maybe a bit of you know even like family stuff uh first cameras what birthmarks got into scars birthmarks yeah um <laughs> having a smooth ball sack i don't know where that came from but I'm, I'm, i don't know where I'm, that came I'm, from I'm, I'm for it we're here we're here for it so i mean let's go let's go back with you Okay. Where where on God's green earth were you born? Mm. Let's get really specific. I was born in the Bay yeah. Area. I was born in a city called Redwood City, which is a southern kind of suburb of San Francisco um, in 1986, which was the year that I guess the Giants won the World Series that year. And Obviously, there was a huge event in the UK. Right. There was a drought in Napa Valley, so the wine industry took a hit i guess that year but i was born in march so the spring actually on the cusp of aries and on the first day of spring which is a i've been told a chaotic combination oh it's um the worst. <laughs> yeah uh and then i grew up in the bay area my whole life i lived um i lived within 20 minutes of san francisco for most of my life um i worked in san francisco for a long time um i spent most of my time in fremont and then the next most amount of time in oakland so um yeah and then uh siblings yeah i have two younger sisters um they're uh they are let's see jessica is 33 and kelly is 31 and what do your parents do uh my mom and stepdad were both in the medical field they were both medical my stepdad was a medical assistant he worked in ENT, uh, ear, nose, throat, and pulmonology. And then my mom was uh, the lab director actually for the West Coast, the uh, the Kaiser Permanente labs. That was like her thing um, for a long time. Uh, they've since like quasi-retired. Uh, my uncle, mm. not my uncle, my stepdad got injured on, at work <laughs> and he won a settlement. So they kind of like fucked off to West Virginia and you know, there's a bunch a of land. That, there's a part of me that really dreams about that. That, there was, yeah, there was a guy. Yeah, there was a guy. You know, he used to know that worked in a warehouse for Sainsbury's, the supermarket, mm-hmm. and uh, a forklift broke, and he ended up like dropping like a 
huge pallets on his foot and breaking his foot really badly. Oh, he got shit. like 70, 70 grand. Just like, that, that's all. Yeah, my fit. my stepdad got quite a bit more than that, like a lot, like too much, honestly. And then they ended up buying a bunch of land in in West Virginia and just kind of fucking off to that to that that place. Now they like now he like works off the land and <laughs> he like farms now or some shit. It's crazy. Um, my dad uh, was always self employed. He always he had like a business where he was like a you know making stuff. Uh, he was doing CNC machining and other stuff like that. And nowadays he kind of like works he was working for doing the parts department for some some auto companies and doing some other stuff like that but did they uh, break up when you were super young uh, when i was 13 yeah okay. um and it was inwardly traumatic but not outwardly it was it was very strange it, it kind of like had a uh it had like a delayed effect on my my psyche i think yeah i get that it was weird. It was very weird. I still don't know how I feel about it. It's fine. My stepdad is a wonderful human being, great person, super great to my mom. Um, took me and my sisters under his wing like we were his own kids. Um, his, my two stepbrothers are also, I have two younger stepbrothers, and they're also the same ages as my sisters, which is funny. Mm. Um, but uh, so all, of you, all of you in one house? No, no, no. We, 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 we all lived with each other at some point, but for the most part, it was like me with my mom and stepdad for a little while, and then ended up back at my dad's, and my sisters with my mom and stepdad, and then, and then mm. I lived with my mom and stepdad for a little bit again, and then like it, I kind of swapped back and forth for you know every once in a while, uh, until up until I moved to Oakland, I was living with my dad, um, and my sisters lived with my mom and stepdad until they moved to West Virginia, um, and then my my. Uh, Sister, my middle sister moved to Austin, Texas, and then my youngest sister, Kelly, uh, actually moved from San Diego back to the Bay Area just recently. So I'm actually going to be visiting her because I'm going to go do some work in San Francisco next weekend. So I'll be um, staying with her, which is going to be nice and see my nieces. Pop into the Thrasher offices, see if you can get me a job. Yeah. You know, every time I go to the Bay Area, I just walk right into the Thrasher offices and say, hey, you got any jobs for my friend Mike in the UK? We'll yeah, see what they say this the, time. That's fine. That's the kind of attitude I'm sure they'd love. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the boring information about kind of my upbringing. Um, tells you nothing about me. Uh, mm. Good trivia, I guess. Great trivia. <laughs> what about you? When Where were you born? Where were what? What happened to you? What? Why are you the way you are? Uh, what happened? What, oh, who did this? We, we who quite literally don't have long enough. Um, <laughs> I think there's not you'd be listening to a podcast for a year. Um, I was born in a place in Scotland called Kirkcaldy, which is the mm-hmm. town that um, former Prime Minister of the UK, Gordon Brown, was from there. Yeah, I know, um, I, I'm aware, I know that, yeah. Did you? No, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, I didn't think so. So <laughs> I was born in Kirkcaldy in 1985. Uh, oh, no, you're I'm the older old, than me. I am. I'm the oldest of, of three brothers. Mm-hmm. Um I've got two younger brothers, um, considerably more successful and smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sounds about right. I yeah, my dad was a lawyer. Uh, my mum had been a speech therapist. Uh, yeah, perfectly fine, natural, happy upbringing. I was a little sort of artsy fartsy kid. Um, I was really into. <laughs> I really wanted. I was really, I was really into drama. This I'm was not like surprised. Yeah, <laughs> not the really slightest. And then. Um, I think my mum died when I was 13, uh, oh, wow. rather 
rather suddenly for uh, for me and my brothers, but she'd been terminally ill for quite a long time, and we just hadn't known. Um, oh God! And uh, I uh, I stopped being so artsy fartsy. Um, started to be a little bit a little bit cool, a little bit rebel rebel. Mm, yeah. Got into my what age? What age is that? So I was thirteen when my mom died. Um, and then wow, so we had really big kind of life changes yeah. kind of at the same time. Yeah. So then when that happened, I kind of, like you, I had a delayed reaction to it. I, I didn't really, I was sort of just all right with it. I didn't cry. There was nothing like, I just sort of was just like, oh, this sucks. And then, mm. and people were really, um, were really like, it was, there was this sort of over the top pouring of like affection and love and trying to make you feel better. And I just found it really like yeah. icky. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. Just treat me I, normally, please. I, I got a lot. I got a lot of that too with the divorce because it felt uh, people feel like in that instance they have to like do something to make you feel better. Yeah, but, totally. it, but it, they don't really take into account how you actually might be feeling. It's very yeah. weird. And you know yeah. what? I didn't, I didn't cry either. I mean, they're very different circumstances. Obviously, oh, yeah, like I didn't, you know, I didn't lose a parent, right? But you know what? Nothing felt real to me until like maybe like six months after it happened, and I went with my yeah. dad. My dad was working at the time. He was running a, um, deliveries for DHL in the Bay Area. And I went with him early in the morning to one of the um, warehouses. And he was like checking on the trucks and doing some stuff. And he gets in the truck and sits down in the passenger seat. And I kind of walk up the truck on the side uh, kind of next to him. And he just like puts his hands up on the steering wheel and just like forehead on his hands just starts crying. I've never seen my dad cry before, mm. ever. And uh, my dad's yeah. like one of those people who's like really well you know, thoughtful and like articulate, like gets along with everybody, well-spoken. And I've never seen him emotional yeah. like that. And that's when it hit yeah. me like, wow. Like it was, this it was something hard. serious. And that was when it, it wasn't even that it was like, oh, that made me realize it was serious. It just re- made me realize like that it did affect me and it was emotional. Also, it's, it's, it's weird when you watch somebody who's supposed to be sort of, you know, your source of comfort and security mm-hmm. and you go, shit, they're human. You know, they're not, you know, and as you know, I'm a parent now, and it's like I still feel like I'm 12, right? And it's scary. The, it was scary at the time too, because it felt kind of like you know what, what now? But then it also mm. was oddly comforting because it was like, okay, if my dad can feel those emotions and feel that yeah. broken down, then maybe it's normal, and I, these yeah. feelings that I have are okay, kind of thing. You know, it wasn't so blatant that that thought, but it kind of like unraveled itself that way for me, which was it good. took me. It took me a long time. So my 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 dad didn't. Um, he did not cope very well, and he um, he drank very very heavily. Um, mm. uh, and I sort of just carried on doing all right, like throughout school. I did sort of all right, you know. But I was into I was really into music, and you know I was really into. Um, I had many many a Kurt Cobain poster on my wall. Um, <laughs> didn't we all? Was big into cardigans. If I don't wear one right now, yeah, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I, I think at the time, I remember I didn't purposely think that I was like rebelling, but in hindsight, I can see that I was. Mm. Uh, and then, um, and then I got, and then it's around about the time I got my first camera. Mm-hmm. I was probably about seventeen or so, and I wanted a, I really wanted a DSLR, mm. not because, not because they were good, but because they looked good, they looked like a professional would have this. Now, I didn't know anything right. about photography. I That's didn't know what sharp was, didn't know aperture or anything. I knew nothing. Uh-huh. But I was like, I want the big camera because the big camera makes me look good. 
so we so I got into it a little bit earlier because I was a sophomore in high school. Um, yeah. But at the same around the same time, I that you know when you were seventeen, I was sixteen, going on seventeen. So I was. So maybe a little bit later than that, um, I started going to school when I was in college and a friend of mine had a brand new Canon 5D, which is the first five, you know, Canon 5D camera, um, full frame digital. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Didn't know Dick about full frame, didn't know anything about digital photography, but, um, was really enamored. He made very weird, not weird. It was just like he was like a partier. So he made a lot of like party photography. Uh, we'd like go to parties and he'd like have his camera and always take pictures and all his friends would take the pictures from the parties and be like, Oh man, this is my new Facebook, you know, MySpace (laughs) or MySpace. Yeah. It's my new, like, uh, you know, profile picture. Um, it wasn't until let's see 10 years later, I got my first digital camera. I think like I didn't Mm. even get one until way later. But my first camera I got when I was in high school was the Canon 81 that I still have. Uh, it's on the other. Um, what shelf. did you do? It. What did you do? Did you go to college? I did. I went to. Uh, mm, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just um, after high school. I, so I graduated a year early. I was supposed to graduate in 2004, but I left in 2003. I hated school. I hated high school so much. I was a truant. I never showed up. Um because I would rather um, play guitar or go skate or smoke weed than go to school because I hated my classmates. I hated the environment. I hated learning that way. Um, I thought mm. that I was being, I thought, I felt like I was being talked down to constantly where, it, where, whereas, yep. you know, I felt like I could go and get this information on my own and do much better. Yeah. And also but- whenever I did tested, got tested, you know, uh, there's like this, all the standardized testing. I did really, really well. I was in like mm-hmm. the top whatever for you know, all the standardized testing. And so my principal <laughs> had me come in and she was like, here's the deal. You are a truant and we can technically expel you because you just don't show up to school. But your test scores are really high. It's obvious that you're maintain like you're absorbing information. It's obvious that you care to some degree. So I'll give you mm-hmm. a choice. Like you can either come to school every day. You can't be late. You can't miss a day of school until you're the end of the year. Um, if you do that, we won't, you won't be disciplined. It'll be fine, but you have to turn in your homework, all the stuff. Right. Uh, she's like the other option at the time we had this thing called the exit exam. And it was basically the exam you took at the end of your high school career. Um, that kind of determined, uh, if you were good enough or something, it was a very, I don't know if they still have it. It was really weird. Um, but I, she was like, if you take the exit exam and you get above a 95%, you can graduate this year with your diploma, with your high school diploma, you can be done. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll take that. I fucking aced it. and I got the hell out of there. So I didn't do a lot um, that next year, really. Um, I kind of just like screwed around the year that was supposed to be my senior year. Uh, I went on tour with my band. I played a bunch of music. I did a bunch of skating uh, yeah. And then I felt like I needed to do something else. I feel like I felt like college to me was still like this big, like important thing that was different than high school. And that was gonna, you know, bring me, um, learning at a level that I was really going to be excited about, yeah. which I was, I was half, I was half right. Um, it's still school and school structures. Just, I don't like school, um, 
traditional school yeah. very much. That's one thing um, I've learned about myself is that I don't deal with formal education at all. It's hard, it's really hard to stay focused because my I if I can't if my brain can't wander, if I can't like look at do different things, you know, and multitask, if I have to like study yep. and like look at one thing for a yep. long period of time, like I'm my eyes are going to glaze over, I'm not going to absorb this information, right? Totally agree. Um I'm the same. But I did realize I really liked photography. Like I, ever since doing it in middle in in sophomore year of high school, like it stuck with me. I always had a camera with me. I brought my camera everywhere and I really liked doing it and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do in in college. I thought like, okay, I can go do medicine. I can go do this. I can go do that. But the first college I went to was Ohlone in uh, Fremont, which is a um, community college. And they had uh, a really good art program. So I had heard um, and a really robust uh, photography program in, in a dark room. So I was like, okay, I'll just I'll do that. And so I went and did my prereqs. I was in like, you know, the math classes and the philosophy class that I hated. Um, But then I also had full access to this dark room. So I spent all my time in the dark room and I got, uh, I did two years there and I did two years at Cal State Hayward, which is a four year. Um, But I only did, I finished up basically my degree there. Uh, And I got my uh, fine art. So I have a bachelor's in fine art, which by the way, useless degree <laughs> i only did well, i only did the art degree so that i could have access to the art department and all of the yeah that's yeah that's one which thing i, I don't i don't regret because mm. my degree it's not useless per se i could leverage it i guess in some way but like i don't um because there's no job that i want like i guess i could go curate something <laughs> or work somewhere it's but like man. yeah it's like, not my passion that, like i I went to art school. Well, I did architecture at art school, and um, it's my probably my biggest regret is dropping out of uni. Um, mm. But I wasn't in a space to like be there at all. Like I'd started drinking very heavily. Mm-hmm. Like that's around about then when the sort of realization of my mom and everything had kind of kicked in, mm. and I just I started drinking very very heavily, which I continued to do for twelve thirteen years. Um, and uh, I dropped out of uni on the sort of pretense to myself that I didn't want to be I didn't want to do architecture mm-hmm. I think the reality was actually I just couldn't cope with being there and I was too busy just getting drunk every day instead um and I regret I don't regret it I suppose it's all one of these things that it's just that life these days is very difficult to find work without a degree mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fine for me. Like I've got the position where I am and like I'll have young people that will come and work for us and then they'll be like, I might just stay here and like work here and not go to uni. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> go to university, go and yeah. do three years. It's three years of your life. It'll be a degree and it opens many doors mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be in that field. It just employers these days won't even look at you without a degree of something. It's hard to get a job as like, at the right. bottom rung of any business without some sort of a degree is very difficult. Which is sad because you're right. They won't like I've I've <laughs> I've gone I've gotten jobs at startups where they require a bachelor's degree, but they don't specify what the In degree what? is. It's just proof that you can actually sit and work, I think, and, and pay attention and, and apply yourself. I think that's well, all they're looking for. A bachelor's in fine arts does not it's not a communications degree. It doesn't translate to marketing, but I've both I've held marketing communications and like management positions at startup companies that had nothing to do with what I went to school for simply because I had a degree. It didn't matter what the degree was. They just wanted, I guess, to know that I (laughs) spent four years 
studying something. I don't know. It's just when doesn't make you, any sense. When did you start taking photography seriously and want to, and realize you could be a photographer? Oh my god! Um, I was working at a startup called Green Toe, and uh, I got into it. Uh, I was working previously um, in coffee. Uh, before that, I was working in startups, and I was working in coffee more and more. And I spent about ten years in coffee, and I kind of realized like. I love coffee, but I'm going to hate it if I keep working in mm. coffee because it's really difficult. At that moment for me, it was really difficult because um, it, there's this, there's a lot of stuff in the Bay Area with this like coffee community that's very clicky. Mm. And it's very insular and it's very kind of like not welcoming. I just didn't feel like I had a space there, so I just had to get out. Um, and then I was working at this startup called Green Toe because they were a start. I think they still are around. Maybe they're basically like a middleman between um, people buying a camera or camera equipment and uh, retailers. And what they do is they negotiate lower prices from retailers who are trying to like get rid of stuff. So say um, the way that structure for retailers works out as far as like wholesale and stuff, Canon will sell you a retailer. 12 of this lens you have to sell at least 10 to be able to order more of Mm -hmm. any different lens or different camera or whatever but you have to the contract states you have to sell this many you don't you can sell it for whatever price you want but you can't advertise it for lower than this price right so what Mm -hmm. they do is they're like i don't care if i make a dollar on this lens i just need to get rid of it right and so what they'll do is they'll come to green town be like hey i've got like three of the 70 to 200 that i'm willing to take a big fucking hit on so that i can move it and get more stuff more new stuff from canon yeah okay, right so like if a new camera gets released canon's like you didn't sell that shit that we already sent you so you gotta do that before we'll send you more stuff so they won't advertise a lower price what they'll do is they'll be like find a customer who wants this lens and we will work with them or whatever. And then the margin for them is like so small. Yeah. And then, but then they, we get a cut of it, which is nice. So then you could potentially get a 7,200 for 500 bucks off um, advertised price uh, because it's not advertised, right? Um, they get around those rules. And then the, you know, the camera manufacturers don't care because they're moving product. Um, yeah doesn't really matter on the back end uh what really happens is it kind of squeezes the retailers but the retailers have all this the retailers have all the stock that they have to sell anyway another thing that camera companies do that i didn't realize till i worked there is that they um this is besides your question by the way but it's i thought it was funny camera companies will be like oh you want to carry the new 5d mark 4 sure you can order as many as you want but you also have to buy and sell all these shitty prosumer cameras we also make Mm. um and you can't order they mark for for your store unless you order these two so they also get loaded up with bullshit that they don't want to sell but they have to in order to be a canon retailer it's really funny and funny um so that doesn't make sense so green toe kind of came in as a way to be like hey we can help you move this shit because we can be that middleman to help you out and so that's what that company was and i i started working there because it was photography equipment and i was like oh that'd be kind of cool i know i know the equipment pretty well and the more I worked there and my kind of job was to talk to customers and talk to retailers and kind of like um, facilitate that relationship. And the more I talked to like working photographers, the more I talked to people, I was like, I'm here like helping sell cameras. I don't want to sell cameras. I want to shoot cameras. I want to go out and like mm. use them. And then I thought to myself, were you taking a lot of photos not... at this time anyway? Yeah. I mean, 
Um, kinda. I was. I, I. I always had my camera with me. Like I had. I bought crappy film cameras, and I had my AE one. I had a bunch of different cameras. I had. A, I think I had at the time. I had a Yashica Electro thirty five that I was really proud of. Um, and uh, I had just got my first digital camera, which is a, a Fuji XE two. I believe was the camera. No. Yeah. 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 Uh, XE two. Yeah. And, um, was loving it, became a Fuji fan like right away. Um, but then I kind of just thought about it more and I was like, okay, all these jobs I've been working are unsatisfactory. Like I don't enjoy them, but I do really enjoy taking photographs and I know that people work as a photographer. Maybe I can figure out how to work as a photographer. And I just kind of like tried and it, mm. it worked to, it started working. So I started just going for it. It was very, it shoot? was a slow what were you process. Shooting? Um, I started doing kind of like events and then I was doing uh, headshots just for yeah. like LinkedIn and stuff like that. And then I was doing um, early on, I was doing like product stuff. Um, nothing really, um, nothing crazy, just like lifestyle sort of product stuff. Like I had no idea what I was doing. So I, I tried <laughs> to make it work, but it was, it was, you know, early days were weird, but, um, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to shoot. You know, I mm. thought street photography was my thing. And then I quickly realized yeah. I'm not into street photography at all. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the natural progression. Any new photographer, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. I'm a street photographer. Okay. Yeah. Every photographer goes through that. And then some people really love it and stick with it. Yeah. Some you do, people just realize. You do several like, stages. You do, um, there's an HDR stage as well. Oh God! Uh, that, yeah, I regret those those days. Uh, light graffiti. That's another one you do when you. I learn never did that. Mm-hmm. I did light graffiti. Yeah, going mm-hmm. out and like drawing like flowers with light in industrial areas. Yeah, yeah. friends of mine, friends of mine yeah, did a lot of that. Fucking, yeah, fucking Banksy man. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like that kind of gimmicky stuff ever. No, um, it was shit. But I did it. I remember <laughs> like, I am. Um, I my first like camera I remember was after my my grandparents had died and I got some a small amount of inheritance and uh, mm-hmm. I bought a without really any research or understanding anything about cameras I bought my first DSLR and it was a it was a Nikon uh, D five thousand it had the flip screen on the back and early uh, an early flip screen camera because that wasn't the, it was like the, the standard first. for a lot of cameras yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i remember um i remember asking someone i knew who was a photographer like is this a good camera and they were just like yeah sure like in the sort of <laughs> you know it'll, you know it'll be fine like i'm yeah. sure you get like they was cast all the time anyway I mean, i'm glad the that fun- they said yes and didn't say something like oh that camera's shit you gotta get a better camera because a lot of yeah. people told me that about cameras yeah. i had so I remember it was the first realization I had where I was like taking like I remember taking some photos with it and looking at them and being like oh these look like they just look like photos like being mm-hmm. like it turns out the camera isn't going to do the work for me um, and I remember being really frustrated that I couldn't make photos look the way I wanted to make them look mm-hmm. and I um and I bought like one of those photography books like a sort of how to take great pictures book <laughs> and I remember like looking through it, it was photography one of those big for dummies something like like literally something like that i remember looking at it and thinking these photographs were like just they were like unreachable levels of good and Mm. uh i now wouldn't even like i mean they're all dog shit photographs if i saw them now yeah um but i remember i took it i I was lucky enough to go to the to the bahamas and uh, i had my nikon d5000 
And I thought I was the bollocks with this camera. Like I thought I was the coolest <laughs> guy there because I had a, a DSLR. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got some of those photos and I will I will post them. Um, oh, please do. Honestly, like Don't just, re-edit them. Leave them I, the way I'm they not, are. No editing in the world could save these photographs. <laughs> um, there's okay. photos of like... They're all at jaunty angles, um, mm-hmm. or there's a picture of like there's a picture of a of a petal on the road with like a really really shallow depth of field. Um, okay, good. I mean, just art garbage. But I remember posting these to like Facebook, being like, "Read them and weep, losers. This is how an artist works." Like, <laughs> just <laughs> so bad. Um, and then I kind of, but I I kept persevering. Like I was really into it, and I and I got Photoshop, and I I had a tiny little computer, and I didn't really know how photoshop worked mm-hmm. and i was like doing and youtube wasn't around either at the time particularly so it was like you had to like read how to use photoshop mm-hmm. um right whereas nowadays it's like how do you do frequency separation youtube that'll teach me how to do it yep. um and that wasn't the case so i had to like learn and then um and then i did all the other things yeah hdr light graffiti all that sort of stuff and i kept that camera for quite a, like a couple of years in and out of lenses as well constantly just like I was like, because I was, de- you know, you need a wide angle. In my head, I was like, a wide angle lens. That's the answer to everything now. That's how I feel now. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is that this, this, this need that I had then, you know, however long ago that was, 13, 14 years ago, I still have it now, regardless. It'll yeah. be like, this is, this is the answer. This is the thing I want to do. But the, the difference now is that I know what I'm, I'm, why I'm picking something for something. Exactly. That's the big change is like, now we've had this experience. We can, we can, look at something practically and be like, oh, I know what can solve this problem rather than just like, oh, yeah. I'll be a better photographer if I have for some reason uh, yeah. the largest aperture or whatever. I'll be the same photographer. I just, I'll have a different piece of equipment to take a certain, to do a certain job. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then what did I have after that? Then I got a Nikon D200 and I, this thing was, it was, it was like a rock. Mm-hmm. And it was when I had that, that I was working in food at the time in restaurants and um, I was a maitre d' And I started shooting food for the restaurant I worked in. Um, and then that's how I went from there. And then I got, a, there was a local place that was opening and it was a big place and they had a, a, an article that was going to be in the Telegraph and stuff. And they asked Whoa. if I'd come and photograph it. Um, and I kind of went from there and it was from food really. It just sort of grew. And I mean, I look back at the early work that I did and it's just, it's terrible. <laughs> and I look back oh, at the yeah, portraits that I like- shot and like, and it's all just... It was always, it was always more. It was like more editing, more ridiculous. Like it, everything was. And remember those days when you would photograph someone on digital, and you would go into like Lightroom or whatever, and you would make the whites of their eyes like fucking white. Yeah, <laughs> and their teeth were like white. Mm-hmm. And you would just yeah. bump up all this stuff, and you look and you're just like, my god, that's insane! Like they're like caricatures of people. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was all the things like now when I edit I barely touch things but at the time mm-hmm. it was like over the top for absolutely isn't that everything. funny like for me it's been like the more experience I get the less I'm willing to spend time editing because I want to you know everything I'm doing now as a photographer is less about like getting the shot and then like making it perfect or whatever, or like having the perfect camera or the perfect lens or whatever. Yeah. What it's really about for me is like getting the, the shot right uh, in camera when I'm there. Yeah, 100%. And then if it needs a little push in one direction or the other, I can yeah. do that in post. But like all the photos, like the stuff I post on Instagram or anything that's up on my website was very light hand. I hate 
editing. I really hate yeah. it unless I'm doing like something really cool and I have to like spend some time. But yeah. like, other I than get that, back like, yeah. and I sort of you know you get back and you like rub your hands together and it's like right, I'm going to sit down for an editing sesh and then you pop mm-hmm. the card and you have a look at it and you go, oh, it's done. <laughs> Don't, I like, mean, the most time I spend is like going through, like if I'm shooting digital, like uh, I have this job in San Francisco I got to do, which is um, women's fashion. So it's all going to be um, on like a like a neutral seamless, probably like beige or something uh, with like, you know, some nice light. And then I'm just going to be shooting a ton of um, basically um, just looks on these models. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's for the spring lookbook or something. Um and the the most time I'm going to spend is going to be just going through and finding the good shots and deleting the bad yep. ones. And that's going to be most of my work. And then everything else is just going to be like a quick little because, you know, I've, I got so tired of spending time editing that I just went in and I said, OK, I always shoot digital the same way. It's all there's no magic thing I'm doing differently. Yep. It's always raw. If I'm shooting yep. with flash, it's always the same settings for the most part. Yep. So I put together a workflow that I just like click a button and it brings the photo to like this spot that's like yep. 90% done, right? Because yep. it's just all I'm doing is like enhancing the, you know, the sharpness a little tiny bit and then I'm uh, uh, neutralizing for the white point. Everything is just done in yep. one fell swoop. And then I just, if I need to do anything else, if I need to like make a little adjustment to like whatever, I'll do that and then it's done um, yep. because I just couldn't be asked I couldn't be fucked to sit there and go through every picture and make it look like whatever. Cause there's no point because no one is looking at the photos like that. No, especially that, that many. Like, well, it's, we've said it before. I think where like one of the things you learn in photography over time is it's great to learn all these things to know what to just not pay attention to anymore. Like, right. The greatest wisdom as a photographer is literally knowing what you don't need to worry about. Yeah, which is like for me, it's the majority of stuff. It's just like, and also the fact that most of the time it's trial and error and it's like it's on the hoof and you're just, you know, when you're on set and stuff, like it's not, nothing ever goes to plan. Like, Mm-mm. and you're not ever like, you know, you're not, you're not making perfect decisions constantly and everything just works out. It's all mm-hmm. trial and error and it's just farting about, you know, make sure you've got gaffer tape to hold things together, bring lots of just bits right. of garbage. And then, um, I, I, I just, over time, like I've found, and, and then you, it's developing confidence as well and saying that it's all right to just take an extra 10 minutes to go, no, hold on, let's just get this right. As mm-hmm. opposed to like that panic and just trying to make things work. Mm-hmm. I remember going to like, I remember going to a job and spending 20 minutes trying to shoot this thing that was borderline impossible to shoot just because I thought it was going to be a cool photograph. Whereas now I'd see it and go, right, well, that won't work and just move right on. <laughs> well, this is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, whereas, yep. you know, or, or, or a client would say to you, can we photograph this? And you want to say no, because that's dog shit. But you go, yeah, sure. No problem. And then you try and make it look good. Yeah, sure. That's whereas, dog shit. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now I just go, no, it's, it's, it's going to look terrible. Trust me. Like, yeah, no I, I always, good. I always would say yes. And then I re- started to realize that I was only hurting myself and then by extension my client by saying yes to their stupid requests. Like knowing what I know now, it's like I can say to a client, yeah, we can do this if you want to waste like this much time and then have something you're not yeah. going to use anyway. Like I promise you it's not worth the effort. And so then if, they have you- that, if you have that confidence, they trust you. And were you always shooting film in the background? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I never stopped shooting film. Uh, 
like I didn't start shooting digital and then stop shooting film. It was kind of just like, oh, now I shoot digital too. Um, which honestly, as a photographer, um, nothing has made my film photography better than learning how to shoot digital because then things fell into place in context where it was mm-hmm. like, oh, digital works this way. Mm-hmm. This makes sense why film works this way. Like this yep. makes sense now in yep. certain ways. Uh, and so, yeah, I always had my film with me. I started doing behind the scenes stuff with film. I always had some camera with me that wasn't a digital camera. I wanted to, I didn't want to be, I didn't, I never wanted to be a professional photographer that was like rolling up in like a brand new, like a, like a cool van with like all the, you know, expensive like flight cases and all the expensive gear, like, you know, super slick and very like whatever. I just wanted to be the guy that like rolled up with like a camera and then like maybe another camera and then like went off the fly because that to me was more interesting than, than having all this equipment that is for show. it becomes it becomes more of like a circus, I think, and it just takes away from what it is fundamentally when you start bringing in all this stuff into it. Yeah, and, you and know, I mean, I'd fall, yeah, I'd fallen out of love with digital um, because it was it was just it was a tool, and it was a tool that I didn't particularly like losing, and I didn't like the look of it. And what I've realised now, I've got the XT4, is that actually it was just my camera that I didn't particularly like, and I didn't like the lenses on it. And yeah, I've. I mean, this the XT4 is just it's fucking great. Yeah, it is a I mean, great camera. Like ever I since I bought it. my XT3, it's like the XT. I mean, even the XT4. I mean, I, if I had the opportunity to buy one, I think I would. But um, like, I, mean, I don't know the difference between the two. But like the difference between the two, uh, same sensor, um, mm-hmm. same processor, but. The X-T4 has IBIS, so stop in-body oh, stabilization, right, yeah. and then it has the flippy screen, yep. and it has a new battery, and maybe a couple other things. But it's it's very much similar. I mean, the so. glass is just, it's incredible. Um, right. The way mm-hmm. the way it renders stuff is is beautiful. I remember, like, I took, yeah, I took some photos the other day of a girl in a car park, um, Abby, and... Uh, I just looked at the back of the screen and once I'd shot them and I was like, these are like good to go now. Like, yeah, that's kind of the thing is like, so I shot just, them on a, on one of yeah. the film presets as well that I've put on and I've been shooting in that film preset. I mean, which is borderline pointless some of the times because you can just obviously then make it look like whatever you want afterwards. But it's rendered it with such a nice color and tone that I'm like for certain jobs, it's like, it's yeah. beautiful. Like, and, Dude, with this uh, job I'm doing, I, I'm not even going to shoot raw because they don't want files that big. Because what I do is I go there, they have a capture station. I just plug in and I shoot to capture one. And then I shoot JPEG with the Eternal LUT or the Eternal Film mm. Simulation on it. And they just take them and then they just go, oh, okay, so we're going to just do a little bit of quick editing just to make sure and then we're done. Because yeah. they don't want to fuck around with it and they don't want the big files that they have to like store. So they don't want all yeah. my raw files. They just want... And no, man. even though it's a JPEG, the Eterna film profile, it, it's so useful because you can go in there and you can add contrast, take contrast away. You can color grade it or whatever, mm. and it looks really great. Um, and it's it's just made it so easy for me to just create what I need to and then be done with it and not have to like worry 
really. Yeah, I think I'd started to get into my head that like digital was digital and all, and even though I just knew it wasn't, I've, I've spent so much time shooting film that I think I just started to think that you know all digital cameras were basically the same in my head. Like right, and then I, and then I I started shooting. I was like, oh, they're just they're all fucking computers. They all they're all computers and they all do this. And then as soon as I saw these images, I was like, holy shit! And it's such a nice experience, right. like stuff well, that I've been shooting, even doing stuff for work, like with that camera, and I'm just like. Oh, it's just so nice, and it and it it brings you it brings it gets me excited in digital photography again. Yeah, and that's kind of the big thing with Fuji for me. Like I've I've had Canon cameras before. I had the five D Mark II, um, which I loved. Great camera. It's a legendary camera. It was like one of the first cameras that um, started the um, what is it the uh, cinema DSLR, like using DSLR for video. Um, I have, I currently have a uh, Canon 5DSR that I use for scanning. Wonderful camera. I mean, this thing's, thing's insane. 50 megapixels for yeah, insane. But, you know, the reason why I became like such a Fuji fanboy, I keep pointing back here, my camera's over there, uh, is because, you know, the the experience of using those cameras is so nice. They're very easy to use. They're very intuitive. They, they look cool. But also, um, I had been thinking about you know, what really matters to me as far as like lenses, but Fuji has been making lenses for broadcast, for television, for movies, for, for everything, for, for, um, space, stuff like that. Like mm. Fuji has been making like top of the line, the best food, the glass you can get for years. So it's no wonder that the glass for their cameras like is amazing. Like they're often, even though they're APS-C cameras, often in top of the line for, mirrorless cameras like i i the 16 to 55 which you have too right mm-hmm. yeah that that lens is it's bonkers nuts. it's bonkers even at like yeah wide open like uh, a mm-hmm. wide aperture a wide um focal length it's still mm-hmm. like crispy 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 sharp and like i love prime lenses but like uh, yeah i find myself shooting this lens and being like oh, i don't really need to buy a dude the 56 mm-hmm. is just nuts like sharp. that's the and thing then, yeah that that lens is whew. And then um, it, the other thing that's amazing is like at high ISOs, still so crispy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, it, it, like shooting with my last camera, the, the the Nikon. Like if you went above about eight hundred, it started to look a bit like shifty. I feel up to like almost four thousand. Really? Yeah, well, not like you know, you would notice a bit of a difference. Mm. Go four thousand on the XT4, and it looks exactly the same, pretty much. Yeah, the XT3 same thing because it's the same sensor. It's it's you can go really high on the ISO and it still looks good. I've shot really <laughs> things that I'm just like, well, when I get this home and look at it on the computer, it's going to look like shit. But then I look at it and it's like that just looks like a little bit of grain. Like it looks fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. actually, with the film presets on some of these things, it actually looks quite cool. I think if it wasn't for Fuji, I don't think I would have gotten into digital as, as more as much as I have. Yeah. I think that that's what really kind of gave me the confidence to um, really shoot, you know, the way I want to and still know that I'm going to get a good result, which is good. It's interesting because it, it ties into uh, uh, a user uh, a user question. They're not users, <laughs> are they? Yeah. We use, we use them. We, we use, use them for them. gratification. We use them. We use you. We use them. We use you for validation mm-hmm. uh, from, our, from our good friend, Robbie who sent me a text last week, which I then pitched to you and mm-hmm. McDougal. And obviously Kyle responds to texts, what, once every? Once a month, I think, just about. Once a month, yeah. About once a month, yeah. Um, and uh, it's a good question. 
It is can a film format, as in medium 35mm, large format, or a film stock rescue bad photography? Mm-hmm. My answer to that is a resounding no. Mm-hmm. Because I think that... Well, it depends how you define bad photography. I think if you were to take the same photograph on film and the same photograph on digital, and it's a shit photograph in terms of its composition and and, and, and its context, then it's a shit photograph. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people lean on the fact that it's been shot, I've shot a photograph on film, therefore it's automatically qualified as a good photograph because it's been mm-hmm. exposed correctly on a sheet of film or a, on a, in a negative. Mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit. The way that you're nodding quietly and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it makes me think you're about to say, you're fucking wrong, Mike. No, I agree with you 100%. I have yeah. to. I have things to add, but I don't disagree with you at all. I think you're you're right on the money. Um, I oh, think uh, one of the things that immediately made me, you were saying when you were talking about, um, you know, whether or not you expose a film, you know, properly mm. or not makes it, you know, a good image. Uh, film, <laughs> a good photograph should almost be indistinguishable as far as format. Yeah, almost when you take it like as far as digital versus film, a good film photo should look like a good photo and a good digital photo should look like a good photo, irregardless mm-hmm. of what you think, regardless, regardless of what you think the formats look is, because what ends up what people forget is the thing that got popular as far as film was the visco filtery underexposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah exaggerated yep. film thing so yep. what people think is a film look is actually like an incorrectly exposed film look yeah, it's it's underexposed film it's vibey it looks cool people like it there's no denying that that look is um pleasing but it's also like technically wrong <laughs> kind yeah. of um so it, it's funny for people to be like oh yeah you know thinking that just because they shot something on film it's good um I would venture to say most film photography sucks like yep. big time. Like if you look there at these a- feature accounts on, on Instagram, yeah, man. it's like this fucking sucks. Like you just like this cause it's on film. Like the, the, the amount of the amount of like, uh, if you check a hashtag or whatever else, just out of curiosity, I don't hashtag anything because I cannot be arsed writing them half the time. But <laughs> yeah. if you go and if you go and search one, um, and then you find these f- accounts and it'll be like, and it'll say, you know, their name, whatever. And it'll be like film photographer. And then you look at all their photos and there's not a single good photo. There's just tons and tons of awful, awful like snapshots that are, that have yeah. just, they're almost look like they've been shot with their eyes shut, but they get <laughs> God knows how many likes because they've got, they've got 50 hashtags that are all about, you know, Portra, um, film's not dead, all that kind of crap. And people just Dude, like it. You know, what's really funny about that is I actually was looking, um, I was looking through hashtags recently um, just to see kind of like what was going on. Uh, and I was looking through the Portra hashtag, um, Portra 400, Portra 160. And like I couldn't find, because Portra is like the it film. I couldn't find any images that I really liked. And I thought yeah. most of them sucked. The first yeah. photo I found that I thought was good, um, coincidentally, happened to be an Alex Burke photo which is this Portra 160 photo of uh, his, his uh, he did a uh, kind of some coverage on the um, Marshall fire in Colorado. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't really see it, but that's the first one that I looked at and I was like, oh, that's a good photo. But that's because it's Alex Burke. That guy's a, a, yeah. a very, very talented, like incredibly good photographer. Yeah. Uh, and he makes good photos regardless of what film stock he uses or yeah. whatever. And it's just that's funny that thing. it's just like I, I, I there's and there's millions of tagged photos for Portra because it's so popular and trendy. Yeah. It's just yep. a, a a sea of bullshit with like a couple of buoys of good good stuff like floating. And I think that people are like, and it, do you know there's a so I was listening to um a Stephen Shore like interview the other day. Of course, and you were. he was talking. Of course, I was. Fucking love a bit of Stevie. Listen, I've got a whistler coming tomorrow. You better believe I'm going to be listening to Stephen Shore. <laughs> um, Send me that and, interview, by the way. Yeah, I will. And he's talking um and he he's talking about when he shot um uncommon places, uncommon places. Mm-hmm. Uncommon places. No, damn it. Ameri- American surfaces. You have the book and you don't even know what it's called. Love it. Yeah, I have to just quickly check out. I've got like three Stephen Shore books, right? Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one. I have none, so you're better than me in that. For um. Sure. Anyway, and he was talking about what he was trying to convey with this, and he was saying that like when we take photographs, we often we 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 compose and we think and we overthink. And he said, "I wanted to." And he said, "It's like when we write a letter. When we write a letter, we 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 don't write in the way we speak. We speak in a different way to the way we write." Mm-hmm. I wanted to take photographs like I speak, not like I write. So mm-hmm. I want to take photographs as I see, not as a photographer, not like I'm not trying to compose it, but just as I'm looking around. Mm-hmm. And I thought it's a really interesting analogy. Like, yeah, I want to take them as I speak and not as I write. And I was like, "That's cool." I think that some people will hear that and they take it far too fucking literally. Because <laughs> what he's done is when you look at like um, American surfaces, two seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, American surfaces. Um, <laughs> is that he's still a great photographer. So yeah, these are like flash photos of 35 mil of like his breakfast or a toilet or whatever else. But they're significant yeah. and they're well composed and they're good photographs. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people will hear that and they're just, they're just not very good photographers. So they'll be like, I'm just shooting around. I'm just doing this. You know, I've seen Stephen Shore do it. Therefore, why can't I do it if I just, you know, point and shoot and look at crap? Um, and you end up with just garbage. And then there's other yeah. people who don't even think that much, who don't even, you know, who don't listen to or care about photography particularly. They just want to grab a film camera, shoot film, and then post it all over Instagram. Right. And but then that's, they get... That's photography for some people. And I think we're coming to a point too where we kind of have to just let that be. And yeah. realize that Instagram is a specific type of photography and it's not real. Yeah, like, I mean, um, it's not it's like fun. something to kind of like rail against necessarily because there's always going to be people that just get it. Right. And we don't have to convince them of our no, art or we don't have to convince them of their, what they're doing is like, right. Um, and then there's just going to be people who are perfectly content and happy. Yeah taking photos for Instagram, taking the basketball hoop, the car corner, the fucking California sunset. I did it. Yeah, you did. But yeah, but that's the thing. Like those things aren't inherently bad. It's just like, that's just just one way of, it's just oversaturated the the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. um, But you know, like I've got, we've talked about it before, but it's one of these things where I just need to sort of, if I think about it, it makes me angry. And I'm like, I've got no right to be angry about these things at all. It's like that's somebody else's expression of what they want to do. If other people like it, then that's fine with me. Well, not only um, that, you know, n- never have I ever made any really good work comparing myself to other people, like ever. Never have I been like, 
oh, this guy is so much better than me. Or this guy did this cool shot. Like I got to do something like this too. Every time I've ever done something where I saw a cool photograph and thought that I had to do something like that and tried to like emulate it, it's always Mm. crap. It's always derivative. It's never good. Um, I have been inspired by good photography to go out and try things like, uh, I've been reading this book recently. Um, uh, it's a, it's a book about Diane Arbus, Dion, Mm -hmm. Arbus. It's Diane. Diane. Yeah. Diane Arbus. <laughs> Someone said it the other day, and I was oh, like, Mike, Dion Mike, Miyaki, Miyaki Sim. <laughs> well, because uh, I don't remember who the person was who said it, but then I realized, like, oh, she like lived in New York. Like, she wasn't like a, she wasn't like a Nordic or something. She didn't have like a weirder version of an American name. It was just Diane. Anyway, getting off the point. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the the author was kind of talking about how she got into shooting like people who were in like sideshows and people who were like, you know, considered like freaks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it was less about her trying to find something to like wow people. She was just interested in them as people and mm-hmm. realized that they would be good photographic subjects. Yep. Um, but it was without it was without like she wasn't like, oh, this will get me famous she just was like i'm tired of doing fashion photography it's driving me fucking crazy i'm tired of shooting for vogue i'm tired of shooting for you know whoever um i need to do something for me and it became her best work because she wasn't trying to impress anybody she was just like making friends with these people becoming like you know close to them and then like they let her photograph them and they became a body of work that made her famous beyond you know her death which is interesting and it made me feel like oh that's inspiring like that's it so that's I think what that- i want to do i want to do the thing where it's like i don't care i don't care how many likes this gets on instagram because it's not that's no. worth less than zero to me and i think that that's really important i think that once you get back out there and you start like it's finding the things that inspire you so like mm-hmm. whether it's looking through a photography book or whether it's just shooting whether it's like having a and I think going forwards for me, I want to very much have two separate ways of being, which is one is my work. One is work focused. It's going to be stuff that I want to be proud of, but it's not stuff yeah. that I'd ever want to exhibit or make a zine from. Mm-hmm. Then I want my my personal work. Yeah. Which is, and then that's what keeps you driven. That's what keeps you excited. I mean, not to say you can't be excited by your work, but you also accept some shit jobs or jobs that just pay bills or whatever else as a job in photographer. Yeah. But at the end, at the end of the day, like you want to create work that inspires you, and you're not more than likely you're not going to have the opportunity to do that as a jobbing photographer. Well, I mean, if you think about it too, when I'm going to this shoot I'm doing for this fashion shoot I'm doing, any photographer could do this shoot uh, acceptably with good results that look fine. Like I'm not, I'm not breaking talking yourself out of a job. I'm not breaking the mold with fashion photography. I'm not doing anything for less. I'll do less. I'm not doing anything groundbreaking or different. I'm just capturing high resolution, good images, well lit of these, you know, outfits on models. And that's all I'm doing. Uh, and that's fine because that pays the bills and like I still enjoy doing it. It's still photography. I still get to go to work and play with a camera all day long. It's great. I have yeah. no, you know, but that's not, that's not me. It doesn't say anything about me as a photographer. I can no. do that, but I'm not, that's not what makes me a photographer. It makes me a photographer is I wake up every day and think like, Oh man, the light coming in the window yep. 
is cool. I want to take a picture of that. Like that's, yeah. and that's the first thought I think I, that's the first thought I have when I wake up yeah, and man. then that's, and then it's like, Oh, I need coffee. So, so it's, it's yeah. And people need to kind of realize too, that like, just because you need to make ends meet and do photography that doesn't have anything to do with what you like doing, like that's not a failure of no, you're working totally as fine. a photographer. Yeah. Use your free time to do what you actually want to do and stop yeah, worrying exactly. about what people on Instagram think because they don't know what they think because all they get is shit fed to them. Yeah. God in their face. It. Yeah. Getting hit in oh, the we, face with bullshit constantly. We, we, we like to feed the bullshit into your ears. We do um, constantly. Hey, look, that's I have been a question for you actually before you oh, wait, go. What were you gonna, Hit me one. Okay. Um, what I wanted to ask you was like, what do you think has been your biggest challenge? in your career or just in your life as a photographer that you've, that you recognize that you need to overcome or have overcome beyond being a drunk. Um, yeah. Beyond being a recovering alcoholic. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's two things really. It's, it's self doubt, crippling self doubt to the point where I'm like, it, it's, it puts a serious break on on any drive because mm -hmm. it's like instead of then it's that self doubt where you go okay well maybe I can't do this until I do this and then if I can't do that then I can't do that as opposed to just yeah. getting out and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so self doubt massively, um, and then self doubt, which then leads into like. It's a lack of it's a lot which bring the anxiety then brings a lack of focus. Mm -hmm. So then I'm I think that I've never really gone forwards with a clear cut plan. It's always been kind of like like a daddy long legs trying to find somewhere to sit on a window, just like <laughs> very <laughs> very. That's a that's a visual right there. Just like bouncing from like job to job by like circumstance, you know. Like yep. I'm not I've never been like pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. And part of that is to be I've been down to a lack of clarity in myself, you know. As a as a as a active alcoholic, like you know, there was a lot of a lot of issues around about. Well, I mean, like you know, just trying to think straight half the time was pretty fucking difficult. Yeah, um, I mean, your fo my focus was primarily on on alcohol half the time. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not it was perfectly obvious that was the case, it was subconsciously always there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it also my my attention span was pretty short, so and yeah. I would get bored. So like I would be like, okay, this is a really good idea one day, and then I'd like you know, alcoholic ADHD would kick in, and it would just be like, okay, that's a terrible idea. I'm going to go do something else instead. But before I do that, I'm going to go get really drunk again. Um, so coming at it now with a with a with clarity and with focus and with an understanding of who I am, which has been massive, you know, um, in in sobriety, it's been finding out who I am, what makes me tick, what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, and and having some real self confidence and self belief, so I, I feel confident going forwards, and I'm also really willing to put the work in. Before there was definitely points where it was like I wanted the results with no fucking work. Yeah, I wanted someone to just there. come to me and be like, "You're a great photographer, come and work for me." What's not mm -hmm. gonna fucking happen? Because no one's gonna know who I am. And also, like, I got jobs through contacts, but like, I could have capitalized like so much more. Mm -hmm. But I didn't because of a combination of, of being an alky and having no self-confidence and being totally fucking disorganized. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in the groundwork to like, to, to start running, like to really hit the ground running and, I, and I'm putting in unpaid groundwork to, to, 
to redo a whole portfolio, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what you've got to do. And you've got to be willing to do it and enjoy doing it, more importantly. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. my, my, my main problems have always just been, it's internal completely. It's not, I've not like come across some, you know, some roadblocks and been like, fuck that guy, he's let me down. The only person that's ever let me down is me. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm all about trying to change that now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's kind of uh, really runs parallel with what my challenges. I think my challenges have been, you know, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the, you know, uncertainty, uh, just not trying things because my thought is like, I'm going to fail anyway, um, yeah. or I'm not good enough. Um, which is exactly, sorry. I mean, I was just going to say it's, it's literally what's, what separates the successful from the non-successful in anything is like, if you stop yourself before getting to the point where you try, you're never going to try anything. And then you have to fail. You have to, if you don't fail, you're not going to learn anything. And that's the thing that a lot of young photographers don't realize, like the, the, you know, the verbiques and the the Linuses and the whoever else is like, they're just like getting everything kind of like easy, but they're not there's learning this, anything. There's the, there's the toxic sort of constant um, promotion of, uh, of like hustle culture. Yeah. Where it's like work, 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 get the fucking money, get this, get that. And it's just like, well, and actually, only sharing the things that you get to do. And well, not exactly. Sharing when you it gives a complete things. falsehood of this graph, which is just exponential constant growth. And it's like, that's not how it works. It actually, but also it's, it's like, like fucking way down all over the shop. Like, and then it's like the whole, the real thing that makes real photographers and fake photographers, the thing that separates a photographer from just a person with a camera is experience. And there's no way around it. You have to go through the failures, the trying, the, mm. the successes, everything. You have to go through all those things over time to be a real photographer because also, you won't know what you're doing unless you go through those things and a, make those experiences. A real and, photographer is somebody that doesn't matter what happens, they still wake up in the day and want to pick up a camera. Like, right. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to pick up a camera every day or every couple of days or whatever else, or you see, like you said, like you see things, you're like, oh, that would be a cool photo or what, then you're a photographer mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Like, a real photographer puts out that cringy early work and is proud of it. And an early photographer looks back at that early cringy work and goes, man, I sucked back then, but look how far well, I've come. Like I, the real photographer thinks that they're not good enough, but tries anyway, fails, and then learns from that failure. Wait, and that kind hey. of happens with anybody wait you know? till you see these photos from the bahamas my friend i can't oh. wait um actually I think my, if you go we're we're friends on facebook you can see them oh my god i'm gonna go i am gonna go dig later um but i was gonna say my biggest challenge has always been uh lack of focus i think that i get really excited about things and then i kind of mm. am all over the place um and i also lack a schedule and oh, it's been but, really difficult now that with COVID because I don't have a schedule. I don't have anything yeah. driving me. I have to do it all myself. Uh, you know, there's no work telling me to clock in at a certain time. Mm. So that has really made me lazy. And mm-hmm. that demotivates me because I feel lazy. It's just like a stupid cycle. And it's something I've been always dealing with. I still the deal other with thing it. that's hard to focus on nowadays is it's not like, okay, here we go. Here's my, here's my computer. Here's my, my, my photography workflow. And here's my clients. It's like, mm-hmm. here's my photography workflow. Here's my clients. Here's my TikTok. Here's my Instagram. Here's my fucking Twitter. Here's like, um, yeah. here's my, my stories. Here's my, my posts. Here's this. It's like, 
it's difficult to focus when you've got these million different avenues. Do you just set time aside? Or, I mean, like, I'm not going to go into it now because I'll go fucking mental. I mean, I've got to cook dinner. That's, I'm worried about that, to be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it's more like, you know, I do need to set a time to get up, have goals for the day, achieve those goals, make more goals for the next day, and, like, do things. Because, like, I just won't – I've had to mix – ECN2 chemistry and process four rolls of film for like two weeks and I haven't done it. I've got the chemistry. I bought it from B&H. It came in a box. It's in my kitchen. I'm ready to go. I just haven't done it because I'm procrastinating because I'm I'm stupid. So You're too busy picking that, which Carhartt jacket to wear. <laughs> this is a Carhartt. My girlfriend got me this for for Christmas. It's, it's a Carhartt. Beautiful. It's a I'd work like in to progress. congratulate Jackie on those photos of you looking like Daniel Craig on the beach. You looked... Oh man, Glorious. yeah, she really she's also by the way, like she just started taking film photography she's seriously. Good, man. I know, and it's infuri- it's infuriating because like she's not really and that's not that she's not trying. She is trying. Shout she's out trying Jackie, hard. in fact, guess who's coming on the pod? <laughs> Jackie's coming on the pod. Jackie's going to be on the pod. Uh she does try very hard, but it's it's she makes it seem it's funny because she'll take some photos and she'll just be like, oh, this role is going to be shit. Like these pictures are going to suck. And then I process them and scan them. And I'm just like, God damn it. You make it look so easy, but it's not like you. Dude, uh, that's it. She's some just people, got a natural. Some people have got it. She's got a good eye, which is really cool. And Questionable. It's really, she goes out with you. <laughs> hey, she's blind in both eyes. Uh, she. Um, <laughs> She just has a really good like instinct for like what looks good, and she has a good instinct for light. And she's uh, she's curious and and wants to learn and wants to do stuff. So it's like really cool to see her just like over the last couple of months, just getting so much better like really quickly. So that's yeah, amazing. Um, I think, it's, I think and that's I got what her happens. A, I got a Mamiya, I got her a Mamiya RB67 a little while ago, and I think oh. I made a mistake because she loves it, and I'm I what a gift have and I have a bunch of. 120 film that I've been hanging hanging on to in the in the in the fridge and she's like she wants it she wants to shoot it she wants to shoot it and I have to let her I have to let her do it because I bought her the I've camera got, I've got five <laughs> rolls of five rolls of portrait coming tomorrow five rolls of HP5 and 25 sheets of HP5 for four by for the Wista dude we're gonna yeah, go out and do four by fives <gasps> I guess we can announce what we're doing tell yes. the people so. Middle of March is Christopher mm-hmm. Storm's birthday. Everyone's very excited about that. No more well, excited the end than of him. March is my birthday. Well, I guess okay. the 20th is like the... It's like middle. Just, just end of middle. the middle. Sure. Anyway, no one's more excited <laughs> than him because he's going to have a visitor. Mm-hmm. It's me. I'm going Mike, to America. Mike booked his flight. He's coming to America. He's going to be with us for five days. We're, we have stuff planned for the for his trip. We're, we have, have some one stuff goal. we're going to do. Don't tell him the goal. We have to show them later. But you can we've got... Him. We've got two things we want to do. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously hang out loads. But one thing right. we want to do is we're going to get Spooky Park Bench tattoos. Oh, I thought you were going to say we're going to kidnap Comic Dougal. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tattoos, yeah. responded to that ridiculousness. <laughs> I uh, think we have to give up the dream. But yeah, we're going to get matching and, Spooky Park And the only thing tattoos. I want to do is go on a little day road trip and then stay in the worst motel ever with Christopher. Yeah, we're going to do like a real... We're going to do like a... I don't know... Um, Todd Heido situation where we find a broken down hotel in a piece of shit town and take some night photos and you know go on a we should a do a day trip we trip. should drive to St. Louis to see uh, St. Louis St. Louis to see St. Louis. to see St. Louis <laughs> to see Brian that we could we actually literally could do that it's like eight hours away it's five I we checked. could do it 
It's five. Yeah. Even better. We can we can do that for sure. We could leave early in the morning. I'm sure Brian. Brian would be down. We stay stay in, stay in St. Louis. And then, nah, and then start driving back. And then stay in a terrible motel overnight. And then drive the rest So of go back. to St. Louis for a couple hours, hang out with Brian, and then say, uh, later, Brian, we're going to fuck off. And then halfway back home, stay at a shitty hotel. Yeah, and then, and then sleep in the same bed. Okay. I just want you to know uh, it's going to still be pretty cold in March. That's why here. we're going to sleep in the same bed. Okay, body warmth. That's that's true. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Mike's coming. Matching tattoos, motel, Brian Burks maybe, road trip, podcast in person. Yeah, uh, it's going to be crazy. Uh, probably a really special photo department video too. If I'm not in a photo department video, I'm going to be really upset because the only time I've been in a photo department video was a picture of my face when I was lying <laughs> on the bed and sent it to you. Hey, you keep sending me those photos. They're going to end up on the internet. I'm sorry to say you, yeah, that's fine. your tacit agreement. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I guess that's a good place to end it, huh? Um, yeah, you're, we'll be, you're, uh, yeah. We're, we're arranging guests. There'll be guests. Next week will be a there guest. Will be guests. Next week will be a guest. I'm excited. Um, um, come join the Patreon. If you haven't yes. yet, Mike's in there. Kyle McDougal's on the Patreon sometimes. I mean, uh, I mean, he's. On, on paper, he's there. But. <laughs> he's in the Discord. Uh, there's um, there's a lot of people in the Discord group. It's a very lively bunch. Uh, a lot of good conversations. A lot of really great sharing of ideas, sharing of work, uh, sharing of gear sometimes. Um, we yeah. already got some people in the Discord who want to be in on the Spooky Park Bench tattoo. So we might have yeah. more than one, more than just the two of us getting that tattoo. Yeah. So, um, very exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, so we're, um, we've got a new sponsor, which we've got a, a new, we have a sponsor, which is exciting, which we'll announce next week. Um, our first who, sponsor for the podcast. Our first sponsor. That's and crazy. We're, we're going to have a website up shortly as well. So on the website, there'll be all the podcast content we'll have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to put some merch up there as well. We're yeah, gonna, we are. We're going to design yeah, and have some merch up there for all you Spooky Park Bench lovers. Is that wrong? Probably going to be. Like a camping mug like this? I'm pushing for this. Yeah, I agree with a camping mug. I kind of want to have a corduroy cap. 100%. I've always wanted a corduroy cap, so having a corduroy cap of my own podcast, yeah, would be great. We got to talk about the merch thing because that's going to be fun. Exactly, Um, yeah. If Uh, you want to watch this episode of the Spooky Park Bench video, if you want to see us instead of hear us, uh, you can, if you go to my Patreon any of the tiers, doesn't matter which one, you can get access to these episodes as videos. Yeah, you get to see Christopher's, one of Christopher's rooms, and you get to see my entire house. <laughs> His kitchenette currently with the very small, seems like, refrigerator behind you. Refrigerator, and there's my bed. There's your bed where all the magic happens. And then that's uh, almost the door. So that's pretty much <laughs> everywhere I live. For now, you're moving soonish, right? Hopefully. Because Hopefully. I'm. I feel like a student. I mean, a student in a really, really well decorated house, but a student. Yeah, I have to say your your uh, your interior design is on point. Thanks very much. That's for I'm sure. A, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, hope thanks you... to Robbie for that question that we sort of answered. The answer is no. It's the very, very complicated, but it's no. Yeah. The answer is just a resounding no. If you take film to pass it off as a good photograph because it's on that format, you're an asshole, and I hate you, and never talk to me. If you use film as a crutch, you are lost. And I hope that you will um, push yeah. harder 
and yeah. go through that and figure out um, what your work really means to you. I'm going to start calling people that. that use film as a crutch. I'm going to start calling them Tiny Tims. <laughs> I don't want to insult them because I feel like it's just a part of this process because it's, you know, because film is so in vogue right now. I think it's just Fuck like people you, get caught tiny up Tims. in it. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck all of you. Yeah. You fucking waste of space. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hate you all. Jokes. Love you all. Toodle pip. Toodle pip. Toodle pip.